Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we'll be exploring extraordinary human experience. My guest is Ray Hernandez, who is one of the founders of the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial and Extraordinary Experience. He is also a co-editor of a large volume recently published called Beyond UFOs, The Science of Consciousness and Contact with Non-Human Intelligence. Welcome, Ray. Thank you, Jeffrey. Because of your work, you've had a big impact in, in recent years. I think it's given a whole new boost to the study of these amazing experiences. And, uh, as I got to know you earlier, what I discovered is, is that you're really relatively new to the field. It's probably fair to say that five, six years ago, you had no interest or involvement with anything of a paranormal nature. And then that changed rather suddenly for you. Correct. Uh, before March 4th, 2012, I had zero interest and zero knowledge of uh, the paranormal, consciousness, non-human intelligence, what we are now calling the contact modalities, which we will be defining later on in our discussion. So I had zero background nor interest in these topics. Uh, I also felt that everyone that was interested in these topics uh, we're kooks. <laughs> so, um, it's a major fundamental change. You, you basically had a, a conventional understanding of these things. At the same time, you're uh, a well-educated person. You work as a tax attorney. You've studied city planning uh, at my alma mater, the University of California at Berkeley. Correct. I was in a PhD program at uh, UC Berkeley. Uh, shortly after you left, I um, arrived there in 1982. I left in 88, and I was uh, getting a doctorate in city and regional planning. And then later on in my life, I uh, became uh, an attorney, and I've been working for more than 20 years as an IRS tax attorney. So it's uh, the least likely person that you would think would would be interested in these topics. Mm -hmm. And let me ask you a little bit about your own uh, family uh, and personal background. Well, um, my wife um, uh, and daughter had similar um, contact with non-human intelligence and initially with, uh, with these objects, which uh, the public calls UFOs, uh, which I call in our organization call uh, UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. The reason is because uh, people are seeing everything ex almost except actual classical UFOs. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, uh, our experience actually started with my wife, um, that we both saw this energy being in our living room, uh, which uh, cured our dog who was totally paralyzed. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I could give you the details of that. Yes, let's like. go in. Let's go into some detail. So here, here you are, conventional tax attorney. You live in Miami. Um, you, um, you. I believe you have a Catholic background. Yes. 
And when you say energy being appeared in, in your house, your dog was very ill. As I remember the story, you were about to have the dog euthanized. That same day, correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, the day before, at about 8 o'clock, uh, we suddenly noticed, uh, myself and my friend, that our dog was totally paralyzed. That She was trying to move her head around, but her body, she couldn't move her body. My wife then came about an hour later. Uh, she had gone to a three-day spiritual retreat at our local Catholic church. Uh, where she was basically meditating and praying for three days straight. Mm-hmm. So she came fully charged up. <laughs> Would you say that your wife is more open to these kinds of experiences? Now she is, but, but, but because she's had a boatload of these experiences. But before then, it was strictly uh, her contact with God and spirit mm-hmm. uh, from a Catholic uh, uh, perspective. But then uh, she began praying all night for a miracle. Uh, she was praying to La Virgen de Guadalupe. Uh, the Virgin from Guadalupe in Mexico. And in the morning, <clears throat> we both checked our dog, uh, totally paralyzed. That night before, I had called our uh, friend who was uh, our veterinarian, and he agreed to open up um, his uh, practice to euthanize our dog. So the next day was uh, her last uh, years of life. <laughs> and um, what happened was that um, when my wife went down the stairs, she saw an object in the middle of the living room. She began to pray, and then she called me down. And after um, minutes of me neglecting her, it was Sunday morning at 6, I wanted my beauty rest. (laughs) She went upstairs, pulled me out of bed, and said I had to see this. Mm -hmm. So uh, we went downstairs, and um, she disappeared right in front of me. The dog disappeared right in front of me. Wife and your dog disappeared in front of your eyes. Mm Dematerialized. She was not there anymore. Mm -hmm. And then I turned um, to the corner of our living room, and what I saw was uh, what I what I now call an energy being. And let me describe it for you. It was approximately this wide, this height, um, radiating energy. Uh, like a mirage in the desert that you see that, uh, that, uh, that heat exchange. Shimmering. Shimmering, correct. It was shimmering. Multiple colors, multiple colors inside, semi-translucent. And then this intelligence got into my consciousness and changed my thought pattern from a logical, rational person. All of a sudden, I didn't care that my wife had disappeared in front of me. The dog had been gone. I then looked at that object. I squinted at it. I waved my hand at it and said, ah, BS, this is what you got me up for, for this junk? Then I turned around, walked straight upstairs. I merely was put to sleep. Uh And then 45 minutes later, when I woke up, I was fully conscious. And then I ran down the stairs and poof, my wife was in the middle of the living room saying in Spanish, Aleluya, Aleluya, Los Angeles la curaron, Los Angeles la curaron. The angels cured her. The angels cured her. And the dog was running around the living room, completely cured. Mm-hmm. Not like how she was before, because before her paralysis, she was like an uh, old lady with um, um, with ailments. She had arthritis. She couldn't run. She couldn't jump. She was taking tons of medications. And now she was running around like a puppy. Mm-hmm. And so in my head, the way it felt like, it was like an atom bomb exploded in your head. And you're trying to, you know, get some semblance. Yeah. You're trying to ground yourself. So then I would ask my wife, and and then she says, "Well, you weren't you there? You saw it. It was an angel." I said, "I didn't say an angel. I saw this energy being, and I described it to her." And so it was massive confusion. She didn't know she had disappeared for forty-five minutes. She had what I later, six months later, discovered. Uh, the terminology is missing time. Mm-hmm. 
So to her, she had gone down the stairs. I was right behind her. She looked down. The dog started running around. She started celebrating. Mm-hmm. As if no gap had occurred. No gap had occurred. Uh-huh. And then um, I w- immediately went to the Internet. I thought it was paranormal related. <laughs> so researching paranormal this, paranormal that. And then uh, she did say, uh, se parecía como una nave pequeña, which means it appeared to be like a little craft that she saw. That was the first original thing that she saw yeah. before she went upstairs to get me. Mm-hmm. Like a little UFO was inside our living room. Okay. And I said, but UFOs are supposed to be outside. They're not inside. So I said, maybe I'll look at UFOs, okay? Yeah. So it was total bedlam, total confusion. And Ray Hernandez, six hours a day, uh, my free time was on the internet. Mm-hmm. And then two months later, my wife, uh, the dog woke her up at 3.30 in the morning. She went outside. She looked up into a big, gigantic, this one was a UFO. This was a physical craft. Right, right above your house. Right above our house. A big, gigantic physical craft. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, she told me that morning, she said, oh, my angels came and visited me last night. I said, what do you mean angels? So in my head, I'm thinking an angelic being with yeah. wings or something. And I said, well, what was it? What did you see? And then she described it. And I said, this is a UFO. And, and, and draw it out and she drew it out and I told her, I said, sweetheart, what you're drawing is a UFO. She goes, Oh, you wouldn't understand. You're an atheist, you know? <laughs> and so that's when I finally understood that, wow, this might be related to UFOs, mm-hmm. UFO phenomena. Mm-hmm. And then she went to Mexico for an entire month and numerous times she called down her angels. Mm. And what appeared? These UFOs. <laughs> the same thing. So, after the initial experience, there were multiple other incidents that occurred. For Initially for my wife, mm-hmm. for the first six months. She yeah. even uh, saw these three human-looking uh, beings that were, she described as seven to eight feet tall, mm-hmm. that were wearing white monk's robes. They didn't walk. They floated in front of her mm-hmm. uh, to a certain distance, and then they dematerialized. And prior to this time, your wife was not prone to visionary experiences. No, nothing, absolutely nothing. Nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, she doesn't even watch TV. She doesn't go to the internet. Uh, we had zero interest in these topics, both she and I. Mm-hmm. And so to us, uh, to her, it was like a revelation. It was like an epiphany that her angels are coming to communicate with her. But you uh, developed an enormous curiosity at that point. Well, during these six months, I was on the internet. I had ordered tons of UFO books because yeah. now I know this is UFO related. Yeah. So I was beginning to read all these uh, materialist uh, UFO uh, books. Yeah. And then what had happened was uh, in August of 2012, um, I had um, seen a video several days before of this man doing what is commonly called CE5 um, or uh, HIC. He uh, HICE, Human Initiated Contact Experiences, okay. where you're out in the desert, in the woods, and you're calling down a, U- a UFO. Mm-hmm. But I was in, in the front of my house, waiting for a friend who's going to give me his parking ticket so I can do a motion to consolidate. Okay. And so, he was late, and, and I was like, killing time. I said, oh, what the hell? Let's Let's try to call down what my wife had seen. Oh, okay, so you, this is your first effort. My first effort. And, and to me, I wasn't sincere. Yeah. But then once I got into it, I became very sincere. Mm-hmm. And, I, and then it, was, it came almost, uh, almost like a prayer, like a mantra 
wanting to 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 give thanks mm-hmm. to um, these modern angels. That's what I call them. Yes. That my wife had been interacting with because our dog was like our first daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we loved her dearly, and she had a miraculous healing. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to give them thanks. And then, lo and behold, after 15 minutes, this huge object appeared right on top of my next-door neighbor's house, literally 30 feet away. And I won't give you all the details because it just takes too much time to elaborate, but basically it was telepathic communication that took place. There were thoughts that were put in my mind. Uh, one thought was to go get my daughter, and I got my daughter. <laughs> and um, and then the way they got me to leave, because uh, we would have been, my daughter and I and three friends, all night, my three friends uh, left after like 10 minutes, but then the way they got my daughter and leave, uh, to me to leave was that I thought I was being attacked by thousands of mosquitoes. So, um, I was slapping my, my legs, my arms, because this is August in Miami. But there were multiple witnesses. Yes, yes. There was, um, three adult friends, mm-hmm. uh, my daughter, who was 10 at that time, and myself. Okay. And so then I, after my friends had gone, you know, about 20 minutes before, um, I grabbed my daughter. I said, come on, sweetheart. Let's get out of here. These mosquitoes are killing me. I can't take it anymore. So we go inside, and then we're telling my wife what had happened. And then my daughter, uh, uh, I told her we had to go in because the mosquitoes were killing me. My daughter goes, Daddy, there were no mosquitoes outside. And it was like the amazing Kreskin, you know who I'm talking about? Yes. Mysteriously snapped his finger, and then I came out of my altered state of consciousness. Now I was fully aware of what took place. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God. And I ran downstairs, grabbed my camcorder, my my professional camera. I ran outside hoping to catch a picture or video of this thing. Nothing was there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then it was after that experience mm-hmm. that I had two years of nonstop paranormal experiences. Nonstop. One after another. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where I thought that I was, you know, losing my mind. Um, and so, uh, I could get it, g- give you in terms of how free started. I could skip pretty much a year, a, a years of experiences. Well, did it seem to you that these experiences had a purpose or intentionality behind them? Well, as you're undergoing these experiences, they don't. Mm-hmm. But now I realize it was a preparation mm-hmm. because they also took me through a series of NDE-related mm-hmm. type of events. Similar to a near-death experience. Similar to a near-death experience. Uh, similar to like these shamanic uh, journeys where you, you're dying, you're being rebirthed again, and you're dying, you're re- being reborn again. And that's what it, it, it seemed like. Um, and Would you say you're a different person oh, now? Oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> my goodness. It uh, didn't interfere with your profession, though. Yes, it did. Uh-huh. It did. It oh. did. Um, right now, before I was a total atheist material rationalist. Yes. Now, I know I'm, a, I'm an eternal spiritual being. Mm-hmm. I know it. It's not a belief. Yep. I know it because I was shown it. I experienced it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yes, it was very difficult to undergo that transition mm-hmm. from someone who went to Berkeley for a PhD, you know, total rationalist materialist, into someone who's undergone this transition. Yeah. Uh, but yet, <clears throat> in our research study, <clears throat> in our book, Beyond UFOs, The Science of Consciousness, and contact with non-human intelligence, we administered roughly 60 questions that Dr. Kenneth Ring administered in his book, The Omega Project. Mm -hmm. We compared approximately 85 individuals that had near-death experiences with 85 individuals that had UFO-related contact experiences. Mm -hmm. And we the 60 questions that we extracted was how do 
these individuals change mm -hmm. from these experiences? We duplicated his findings 100%. It was 85% of these individuals underwent a dramatic psychological profile change for the positive, became more spiritual, less religious, less egotistical, less materialistic, more loving, more consciously aware. They now had a mission. Okay, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you jumped ahead a bit because, okay. because now you're functioning in effect as a researcher of paranormal phenomena. Right. That's not where you started. No, 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 no. What had happened was, let me tell your audience members of how um, I, I was having uh, all these different paranormal experiences yes. from uh, August of 2012, mm -hmm. which is approximately six months after that initial experience. Yeah all the way until um, uh, May of 2013. Okay. In May of 2013, and what I'm going to tell your audience members might be a little shocking, <laughs> but there are literally hundreds of individuals that have had very, very similar experiences, mm -hmm. um, uh, which was the experience of being taken to a matrix reality. Okay. okay. Matrix In, reality. Multi-dimensional reality. Okay. Approximately half the people that took our survey, we asked that question. Have you ever been brought to a multi-dimensional multi matrix reality, which was non-3D, mm -hmm. but it seemed like it was just as real as uh, a 3D reality? And 50% mm -hmm. of the people said yes. Mm -hmm. So this is my story. <laughs> I was driving my car in the middle of a traffic jam in Route 836 next to the airport in Miami. And those that live in South Florida know the area that I'm talking about. Tremendous traffic jam. Listening to an interview of this man doing a documentary uh, of art sculptures that he had done from uh, art fat, excuse me, from fat from a liposuction. Okay. So I'm listening to this and I'm like fascinating. This guy is doing a documentary on the fat from a liposuction. <laughs> and so, uh, immediately I'm not in the car anymore. I'm just mind. I'm just consciousness. There was nothingness around me. Okay. All of a sudden I'm inside this big gigantic, uh, perceived to be a, uh, like a wheel. The wheel had uh, perceived spokes. Inside each of the different spokes was a video. The video, I intuitively knew what each one was. Mm -hmm. It was separate videos. And it turned out to be what I now call, and our organization calls, the contact modalities. Mm -hmm. Okay? In one segment was near-death experiences. Another segment was out-of-body experiences. Another one was UFO contact. Mm -hmm. Another one was shamanic hallucinogenic journeys. Mm -hmm. Another one was remote viewing. Another one was communication with ghosts and spirits. Mm -hmm. Another one was, you know, et cetera, et cetera. All the different ways yeah. that humans are piercing the veil and having contact with non-human intelligence. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a voice. When I was looking at these videos, it was like a knowingness. Like I knew that. I know that, I know that, I know that. And then information, not a voice, came into my consciousness and says, these all are just an example of all the different ways that humans are communicating with us. Okay? Humans are studying them as separate and distinct phenomena. To the extent they get studied at all. <laughs> correct, correct. But, it, but they said, but in, but in essence, yeah. it's one phenomenon mm -hmm. because they're all interrelated. Mm -hmm. And humans are calling this glue that's holding it all together consciousness. 
but in reality, but, but in, in fact, what it is, is the very fabric of our reality. The fabric of reality the fabric itself. fabric of our reality. Space and time. Space and time is the glue that's holding it all together. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, as I was having this experience, I had no idea <laughs> what was going on. I had yeah. zero understanding. Were you, were you still aware of the uh, traffic? No, no, I was not in my car. I was not in that reality. I was completely lost uh, awareness. I of was it. in some other um, non three D reality okay. in the middle of of a perceived gigantic image where I was seeing all these different phenomenon. And then, as I was, I was receiving this information. It was just information coming down, but there was nothing else around me. It was just. Did, did it feel like you were wide awake and fully, oh, I was conscious? fully conscious? No, uh-huh. no, fully conscious. It was like like you and I right here, mm-hmm. fully conscious, as real as as our three D so reality. This other reality, it seemed physical to you. It, tangible, maybe? it was tangible. That's a better term. Yeah. Because it certainly was not physical. It was, it was more like an ethereal consciousness reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then it gave me instructions. Mm-hmm. Again, it wasn't a voice. It was just straight information. And Some people talk about a download. Well, that's a, a, a human term. Yeah. Uh, like a download. Yeah. But uh, to me, it was just straight information. It was like a straight knowingness. Mm-hmm. Okay? okay. And the knowingness was that... Um, you need to inform humanity of the relationship relationship between us. I still had no idea who, what, what us was, okay? You have to inform humanity of the relationship between us, the spirit world, and consciousness. There's two criterias here. You're going to need help. But this is not about you getting rich. And the people, you're going to need help. And the people that you get to help you have to have minimal ego. I was back in my car driving in the middle of traffic jam. Mm-hmm. I was like, what the hell just took place? I immediately, in the middle of traffic jam, called like about after I settled down a little bit, maybe five minutes later or ten minutes later, whatever that was. I called another experiencer, the only person I was able to talk these things to. Because for my wife, it was all religiously oriented, yes. you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, this other experiencer had had a lot of this paranormal experience and was very familiar with this. So I called her and I told her what was going on. Mm-hmm. And so um, the interesting part was not that experience. Okay. Is what immediately developed. Did, was there a missing time or anything? Well, okay, good point. <laughs> when I got back into the car driving... Guess what was playing on the radio? Well, I wouldn't know. The same interview with that man uh-huh. doing an interview, uh-huh. doing a documentary uh-huh. yeah. about liposuction. <laughs> it didn't skip a beat. Uh-huh. It didn't. There was no time that had been spent. And, and how much time did it seem like? To about you? at least twenty to thirty minutes. Okay. But yet, when I got back to that interview, it was like nothing. it was nothing. No time had gone. Okay. So now you were in effect given a mission. Well, uh, now I know that, but yes. back then I was like, what in the world just happened? Okay. Um, I don't know whether I had died, I had a heart attack, I went to heaven and I came back, I, I didn't know what had happened. Did it feel uh, like heaven? No, 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 it just felt like that particular experience okay. and that's it. Mm-hmm. So then 
when I got home that afternoon, I was going to work. Yes. You know, to the IRS federal building mm-hmm. at um, uh, in downtown Miami. So um, I got home later that afternoon, late that afternoon. Um, I don't know, six o'clock or so. It was still the uh, uh, daylight time, and um, I got an email from Mary Rodwell. Now, let me take you back six months previous to that, October of 2012. In October of 2012, I had sent like 10 emails out to these very famous names in in ufology, Mm -hmm. okay, wanting someone to talk to because I had no one to talk to. So I had sent it out to all of these people. And this woman that I had been communicating with was, I had sent it to one of these individuals Mm -hmm. and he gave that email to this lady and she reached out to me. Mm -hmm. But I I had sent it, uh, the only people I think that reached back to me were Whitley Strieber and this man, Grant Cameron. Mm -hmm. And it was someone else that had given that email to Grant Cameron. So, and they both, you know, very, um, you know, one paragraph responses, that sort of thing. And, uh, um, so it was like a, a, a message for help. Mm-hmm. So that was in October of 2012. Okay. When I got home that, e- that uh, evening, I got an email from Mary Rodwell. And Mary Rodwell, for the folks that don't know her, she's one of the world's major researchers of individuals that have seen UFOs and have had contact with non-human intelligence, mm-hmm. i.e. known as experiencers, <laughs> uh, that Dr. John Mack used that term. And so uh, I got an email from her. She was one of those 10 people that I had sent. And she said, Dear Ray, I'm sorry I'm, commu- uh, I'm communicating to you at this time, but the email that you had sent me in October, I just received it right now. Just like that. And um, and so I then sent an email back. I said, well, thank you for responding, Mary. But uh, over the last six months, these are all the crazy experiences happened. I had a diary, a current diary. I sent her my diary of all of my experiences. And I said, and today I had this experience. Mm-hmm. So then she said, oh, my God, Ray, let's uh, talk on Skype. I didn't know what Skype was. No. She was the one that showed me how to now, use now Skype. She's Australian. From Australia, correct. Like 12-hour time difference. <laughs> and so uh, we wound up talking on Skype to like 1.30 in the morning. Mm. And I said, well, Mary, it's 1.30. I got to, you know, go to work tomorrow morning. <laughs> uh, no, no, we need to talk, continue to talk, because she saw, you know, my profound experiences. So the very next morning, at 9.30 in the morning, um, I work at home. I have uh, all of my cases at home. Mm-hmm. I go to the office once in a while. Uh, and so um, 9.30 in the morning, I get a message. Hello. Uh, who's this? Dr. Rudy Shields? Who? Dr. Rudy Shields, emeritus professor of astrophysics at Harvard University, a very dear friend of the late Dr. John Mack, who was uh, a professor of psychiatry at the Harvard Medical School, uh, who Rudy had introduced to Dr. John Mack about the topic of consciousness, about the multiverse. Why? Because Dr. John Mack approached Rudy and says, Rudy, I have some of my clients, many of my clients that were dealing with the UFO uh, phenomenon that were being brought to other realities. Mm other what I call matrix realities. And um, is there such a thing as a multiverse? Is there a, such a thing as, as other dimensions? Mm-hmm. And and uh, this leads back into this topic of consciousness that Dr. Mack was fully aware of. But how does like the multiverse deal with, you know, consciousness and all this and that? And so that's how Rudy became close friends 
with Dr. John Mack. Mm-hmm. So what happened, I found out later on, not that day, but that Mary had sent Rudy an email mm-hmm. about my experiences. Mm-hmm. And part of that experience, which I didn't go into detail, dealt with physics that were given to me. Mm-hmm. And so um, when individuals get physics downloads, Mary sends it to Rudy. But she always requests the permission of that person. She did send me an email, but I didn't get to read that email yet. So I didn't get to say, okay, you know, it's okay for Rudy to give me a call. So Rudy jumped the gun. He reached out to you. He reached out to me at 9.30 in the morning the very next day. Mm-hmm. So he introduced himself and he uh, he had me explain to him what had happened. And he says, Ray, what happened to you? was that you visually experienced Dr. Edgar Mitchell's quantum hologram theory of consciousness. And he also believed that all of these, what, what, what I now call the contact modalities, Rudy was calling modern miracles. He had just written a paper titled The Modern Miracles. Oh. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. So he says, uh, what I call the modern miracles, and Edgar agreed to it, that all of these different experiences is actually one phenomenon that consciousness is the key to understanding it. You know, my my vision, that, that experience was the same experience that Rudy told me Edgar had written up and Edgar had, had hypothesized about. Yes. And then he went on to explain what that theory was. At that point, I really didn't understand it. Uh, because as you know, it's uh, based upon physics. Um, Rudy had been working, not Rudy, both Rudy had been working with Edgar, but Edgar had been working with numerous PhD physicists all around the world. Now we're talking about uh, the astronaut Edgar Mitchell, the, who is also the founder of the Institute of Noetic Sciences. Correct, correct. Uh, my goodness, a brilliant genius, a brilliant man. And, um, and then I later found out, you know, the Institute of Noetic Science was pretty much the, the, the most important institute that's studying the psi phenomenon and, and consciousness. And, and Dean Radin, who is now our, one of our advisors, to the free organization, mm-hmm. um, uh, is the lead scientist at, at, at IONS. That's right. So anyway, Rudy then begins to explain this very complex theory, which is physics-based, uh, about resonance, coherence, <laughs> how the human mind interacts with information fields that Hal Putoff had put together with Bernard Haish, mm-hmm. another very well-known uh, physicist. Yes. Um, and so um, he was explaining the physics behind that, and I was like, you know, Trying to understand it and grasp it. Uh-huh. And so at the end of like 90 minutes, and when we were ending our discussion, and so uh, Rudy said, uh, Ray, write down this telephone number. And so I wrote it down. He says, this is the telephone number of my mentor. So I said, well, who's your... I'm saying to myself, who in the hell could be this guy's mentor? Mm. He's a, a professor of astrophysics at Harvard, you know? <laughs> one of the world's leading experts on black holes. Well, everyone needs a mentor. Needs a mentor. <laughs> and so I, I said, well, who's your mentor, Rudy? Dr. Edgar Mitchell. Mm. He only lives 90 minutes away from you in Lake Worth, Florida. It's important for you to reach out to him. So um, I finally worked up the courage to give Edgar a call. And it was like four hours later because I was scared of giving him a call. So I finally called him and he says, uh, I've been waiting for your phone call. So I immediately thought, is this ESP related? Is that why he said that? But no, what had happened was that Rudy had called him mm-hmm. in the time being. And he says, Edgar, you won't believe it. Here's a man who was taken to a, a multidimensional reality, was given 
this image of all of the contact modalities, what Rudy was calling the modern miracles, how they're all interrelated, and he was describing your quantum hologram. Mm-hmm. So Edgar became fascinated, and, and he goes to me, Ray, what are you doing tomorrow at 10 o'clock? <laughs> I said, well, I don't have got any plans. I could take the day off tomorrow. He says, can you come by my house? Mm-hmm. You know, I only live 90 minutes away. He gave me his address. Yeah. So again, mind you, this is two days after that experience. Mm-hmm. Okay. Everything just came together. Came together. By itself, practically. By, correct. It was... Mm-hmm. It, oh, in fact, <laughs> more than that, as if it were orchestrated from another level because of, of the delay of your email until that point. Correct. I, I now know, mm-hmm. and that wasn't the only experience that has happened to me, yeah. that these experiences that were happening to me were orchestrated experiences, obviously guided by some higher level non-human intelligence that we just don't fully understand. Mm -hmm. And so I spent uh, six hours at Edgar's home. He basically took me through his whole life, (laughs) from him being a baby, uh, how his parents owned two stores in Roswell, the North End and the South End, uh, the picture of the pony, uh, the the baby clothes that he had, uh, a picture of him on a pony when he was young. I mean, through him being uh, uh, graduating from Roswell, about the Roswell crash, right before he went off to Carnegie Mellon, Mellon, how he then uh, went into the Navy, became a test pilot was part of the Chuck Yeager's test pilot group, how they took all the pilots from that group uh, to NASA. Uh, he knew many of the early astronauts from that program and how uh, NASA had brought him to MIT, mm-hmm. how he supervised the construction of the Apollo module. Mm-hmm. So when the Apollo thir- uh, 13 had their problems, Edgar told me he was three people in that movie mm-hmm. with Tom Hanks. Yes. And um, I mean, he, everything. Edgar told me everything. Okay. Then after that, he says, well, Ray, I want to learn more about your experiences. And so in my head, I was like, I don't even know this man. He spent all of these hours telling me about his entire life, mm-hmm. including ions, what happened in space, the Samadhi experience, you know, the whole works. And I was like, uh, I, I was having difficulty coming to, to grasp with what was going on. Yeah. But I later realized was that he wanted to make me comfortable to tell him my experiences. Yeah. I later learned, and a lot of people don't know this, even to this day, that Edgar spoke with hundreds of UFO contact experiencers. Mm-hmm. He never talked about that publicly. Okay? But later on, I met numerous people that were experiencers that were in that same home mm-hmm. that I was at I with Edgar Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Okay? So it was like the experiencers knew about it. They interacted with Edgar. So he was like so inquisitive to get, you know, information. So after I told him all of my experiences, and to Edgar was like, uh, he wasn't surprised at all by these experiences. Mm -hmm. And towards the end, he said, look, Ray, you need to implement, and this is the term that he used, verbatim, you need to implement what your ETs told you. Okay? So immediately in my head, I said, this man is not right. He's a little nuts. Okay? What your ETs. Because then I said, does he have his own ETs? Uh-huh. You, you know, you know what I'm getting. It, it opens you up to what in the world is going on. Why did he tell me that? Mm-hmm. I need to implement what my ETs told me. Because at that point, had you identified the the voices or information coming to you as being ET or extraterrestrial? No, I, I had no idea what this experience was all about. Let alone a mission. Yeah. I'd even thought about a mission. Mm-hmm. He interpreted all of this as a mission yeah. that I was told. 
Uh, he, well, he referred to non-human intelligence as ET. That was his shorthand. Okay. Okay. But what he really meant was this whole mm-hmm. cornucopia of non-human That's intelligence. That's a good word. Cornucopia. That's what it is. The whole cornucopia of non-human intelligence. But Edgar, you know, he used that term ET, but he always clarified it beforehand. Mm-hmm. You know, so he knew it, but what you meant, you okay. know. And so I never even thought about, you know, a mission, information that this was non-human intelligence. I thought it was a, some type of schizophrenic episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I really didn't get the synchronicity of like, boom, Mary Rodwell, then Rudy Shields, and then Edgar. You, you were concerned about your own mental health. Mental health, correct. Did you see a professional about it? No, uh, because I knew that my wife mm-hmm. was having these experiences. Yeah. I know that my daughter interacted with this huge craft. Mm-hmm. So it couldn't be a mental health issue because the three of us could not be crazy at the same time. Okay. So I was trying to understand, you know, what in the world is happening, mm-hmm. you know, at, at that level. Sure. So I knew I wasn't insane because I'm thinking rationally. I'm, I'm going about my normal life. Mm-hmm. And so what had happened was that Edgar uh, also told me, he says, uh, Ray, Rudy and I already discussed it. Uh, we will be your scientific advisors for your journey, for your mission. And I said, but Edgar, I have no idea what the hell I'm supposed to do. And this again shocked me, surprised me. Okay. He says, don't worry. You'll find out. It always works that way. And I was like in my head, what in the world is he talking about? It always works that way. In the beginning, you're totally clueless, but then you're given information that leads you in that direction. Okay, Edgar really was a sage. He knew much, much more than when people really knew about Edgar. Okay, as you you as you know, because you knew Edgar well. Yeah, I did. Okay, so what had happened was that I went back and I sent an email to Mary Rodwell. I said, Mary. You won't believe this, okay? But after I spoke to you, the very next day, Rudy calls me at 9.30. That afternoon, I spoke with Edgar, who invited me to his house, and all of this took place with Edgar, and I was trying to ground myself. And so I said, would you like to join us? Mm-hmm. She says, of course, Ray. So it became the four of us. Mm-hmm. So what had happened was that um, about a week later, it was a Saturday, I woke up and I had our first project. The first project was based upon this, uh, this need, uh, having an academic background and having these experiences. What I normally did, obviously you go to the internet and all you get on the internet is sheer nonsense. Okay. Misinformed by you know, a oh. wide variety of information from many, many different many, sources correct. and, and uh, no good guidelines as to what information is reliable and which information is not. Correct. And also, there was nothing out there that described what I was going through. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I was like, I was so frustrated because to me, it's like there must be something out there that was done academically. Mm-hmm. about UFO contact experiences, people that have seen UFOs interacting with UFOs and having these diverse paranormal experiences. There has to be something academically that isn't written about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, what did I discover? Yeah. Nothing. There was, you know, out of a few 
um, studies here and there on tangential issues, like mm-hmm. Dr. Leo Sprinkle yes. did studies about whether these individuals are, are crazy or not. You mm-hmm. know, he administered uh, Minnesota, um, I always forget the MMPI. name. MMPI. The MMPI uh, uh, assessment. Right. And that determined that no, these individuals are just as normal and just as crazy as, uh, as, as, as the, the bell curve of craziness for, uh, for a humanity. We're, we're normal individuals. Uh, Dr. Bank stated publicly these individuals are, uh, are normal as well. And he was a professor of psychiatry at Harvard. Right. And, uh, and then there was, you know, the literature of, um, uh, Kenneth Rain. Mm-hmm. That was like one of the few really academic research studies that had dealt with the UFO contact experience, but it was very, very limited. It was just, uh, focused on certain questions to focus on certain areas. And so, um, that Saturday morning, I woke up and it was, I guess, like a download when I was asleep. I don't know how else to, how else to describe it, mm-hmm. but immediately I began to write up a whole methodology mm-hmm. of how we would go about doing a formal academic, comprehensive academic research study mm-hmm. of UFO contact experiencers. Mm-hmm. And I wrote out the whole outline. I merely sent it off to Mary, to Rudy, Mary Rodwell, Dr. Rudy Shields, and yes. Dr. Edgar Mitchell. Yes. All of them said, you got it, Ray. Mm-hmm. You finally got it. Well, it wasn't finally. It was a week later. <laughs> and, and, I, and I basically said, do I have the green light to go with this? And mm-hmm. they said, yes, this is it. Mm-hmm. And so then uh, I don't remember how I got a hold of Dr. John Klimo. I really don't. All I remember is that I'm the phone. I'm on the phone talking with him. Okay. Okay. You well, you know, Doctor John Clevo. I've known him for decades. For decades. Okay. <laughs> and as you know, he's one of the few academic scholars that was a tenured faculty member, mm-hmm. primarily studying the paranormal That's right. and consciousness. Yeah. There's not too many of you guys out there. <laughs> he wrote the classic book on channeling. Correct. And he was interested in not only the UFOs, but uh, consciousness, uh, out-of-body experiences, what became known as near-death experiences later on. He's the full gambit, okay? Yes. Just like yourself in terms of uh, your scholarship research. And so um, I explained to John what had happened, all the details with Edgar and Rudy and all of my experiences. He didn't even blink an eye. You know, to, this is purely normal. It would be for him, that's true. <laughs> uh, totally normal. And then um, he said, uh, Ray, um, I'm about to retire, you know, from teaching. Mm-hmm. And I said, John, this is perfect timing because we need a chair for our academic research study. Mm-hmm. I learned during my discussions with him that he had taught qualitative research methodology. Yes. For 45 years. Mm-hmm. You're aware of that, right? Yeah. So I said, oh my God, we've got someone who taught research methodology for 45 years. Mm-hmm. So I said, John, would you like to be the chair of our research study? Mm-hmm. He goes, what research study? Then I, I said, hold on, I'm going to send you an email. I sent him the email. And so while we were discussing, he read it. And he goes, this is brilliant, Ray. Yes, I would be willing to join you guys. So he became yeah. the chair of our research study. Mm-hmm. And then eventually all these ac- academic professors started joining us and researchers, people like Mary Rodwell, mm-hmm. people that I've been working with their, I call boots on the ground, yes. working with experiencers, people like, um, like Kathleen Martin, who's very well known in this field, mm-hmm. uh, Leo Sprinkle, who was an academic yes. that had worked uh, as an academic researching, you know, the, the abduction phenomenon. Oh, yeah. um, uh, also Barbara Lamb. 
a lady who had for 40 years had been working with experiencers and Denise Stoner. Again, these are people that have been researchers in this field, teamed with a whole group of academics. Uh, one eventually was uh, uh, Dr. Bob Davis, who is a retired professor of neuroscience from the State University of New York. Right. And I believe you interviewed him. I have interviewed him, so viewers of New Thinking Aloud will, will know about him and will know uh, his report regarding the outcome of your research. Correct. So, I mean, this is not just a flimsy group here. No. Uh, Edward very was substantial. Very substantial. And, and you've given the whole field of ufology a big boost as a result. Correct. And so, w while we were developing these questions, it took us almost nine months to develop the methodology of what we would do. So, we eventually came up with uh, three surveys, two quantitative 600 questions, quantitative questions, and the qualitative instrument was comprised of written responses to 70 open-ended questions. Um, we also, in terms of the types of questions asked, we knew that this was not just abduction-related yeah. issues. We knew it was just not materialist, mainstream ufology, nuts and bolts, materialist issues. There was much, much more profound than this. We know that this was consciously based, spiritually based as well, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we developed questions that ran the full gambit from the physicality of the experiences to the types of beings to the information that was relayed to how these people changed. And 600 questions. 600 questions running the full gambit yeah. of this experience. Mm -hmm. We then um, administered the survey um, to over 500 Facebook groups. Mm -hmm. On a weekly basis, this was posted, encouraging people to take the survey. Mm -hmm. The uh, Facebook groups were both ufology groups, mm -hmm. from the love and light crowd to the evil, you know, abduction crowd, mm -hmm. <laughs> to the hybrid crowd. You know, you know what I'm talking about. The whole gambit there, of... There's an incredible social sociology going on. There's just this burgeoning grassroots movement uh, happening. Uh, academia is nowhere near mm. keeping up with Correct. it. But if, if you go on Facebook, you will literally find thousands of groups of every imaginable Correct. type. So we sent it to, again, paranormal groups. Yeah. There are literally, I would say, at least 50 or 100 different paranormal groups mm -hmm. that were out there. Yeah. NDE groups, OBE groups, yeah. consciousness groups, okay? We sent it out to over 500 of these organizations on Facebook on a weekly basis. I believe there are thousands of such groups on Facebook. I myself have a list of about 2,000. Okay, well, we sent it to like the big ones, not, yeah. not to the little ones, okay? Yeah. Uh -huh. We then went over 100 radio interviews, yeah. uh, the members of our board. Mm -hmm. uh, again, on these radio interviews, encouraging people to 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 take these surveys. If if they were experiencers. Correct, correct. You have to have seen a UFO, and you have to have contact with non-human intelligence. Mm -hmm. Now, contact didn't mean physical contact only. Could have been telepathic communications. Could have been that you were transported to another reality, like I was, yes. and you had these. So in my case, it was both physical, because I saw that energy being, and brought to another matrix reality. Some people are brought to a perceived UFO craft, mm -hmm. okay? Some people are strict telepathic communications. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a wide, diverse but range of contacts. As I recall, you explained to me that you asked for people to report their conscious, wide-awake experience. Correct, correct. Very, very important, because uh, we discussed this whole issue of whether we should allow lucid dreams, mm -hmm. hypnotic regression, mm -hmm. 
mystical meditation, you know, journeys <laughs> or channeling, even channeling, you know, information from channeling. What we decided was that if we eventually going to be publishing this <laughs> in a peer reviewed academic journal, um, all these other types of, of memory recollection uh, um, uh, procedures would be quite, quite problematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, uh, you could take a, a two hour Dolores Cannon class. All of a sudden you put up a little shingle doing hypnotic regressions. Mm-hmm. You could be asking a million leading questions. Okay. Yeah. So what well, we, uh, told, uh, numerous times through our survey instruments that please respond only based upon conscious, explicit memory. Mm-hmm. Very, very important. However, for survey three, which is the qualitative instrument, we allowed all of these different uh, memory recollection uh, techniques to be uh, allowed, mm-hmm. but we had an option that you had to say this came from A, this came from B, this came from C. Mm-hmm. So we knew that this part came from a hypnotic regression. This part came from a lucid dream. This part came. So by each paragraph... They were then able to select, you know, A, B, or C, D, whatever, or this was conscious, explicit yeah. memory. But that way, yeah, when people were writing out the details of their uh, responses to these 70 questions, we knew exactly, okay, this was from a lucid dream. This was from that. And so we wound up with over 10,000 pages of written responses to these open end, 70 open-ended questions. Mm-hmm. And poor Dr. John Klimo had the task of <laughs> <laughs> writing out the analysis for that phase three, the qualitative instrument. And he spent nine months doing it. And he did it while he had cancer of the brain without even knowing that he had it. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, he did write chapter two of our book, which is the analysis of phase three. Mm-hmm. And so he, myself, Dr. Bob Davis, Dr. Rudy Shields, um, we did the analysis of the quantitative instrument. Mm-hmm. We had the, uh, the assistance of a, uh, uh, statistician, uh, PhD statistician. His name is Dr. Russell Scalpone. Mm-hmm. So, um, and what he did is he, uh, uh, he did numerous types of statistical, uh, analyses. One of them was that he put the responses into country groupings. So he had, um, mainland Europe. He had the UK. He had Canada. The United States, and then he grouped uh, Australia and New Zealand together. Mm-hmm. This is for English language survey. Mm-hmm. We did have uh, the uh, the surveys in multiple languages. Mm-hmm. So um, what I'm talking about now is just the English language survey. We wound up with four thousand two hundred responses to our quantitative instrument. The qualitative qualitative instrument was one thousand four hundred and change uh, uh, responses mm-hmm. from over a hundred countries. Mm-hmm. Okay, responded to the English language survey. So you put all of this together, and and now it's been published. It's out in the world. And if I understand it correctly, the whole time you maintained your profession as a tax attorney. Correct, correct. I was working as a tax attorney, which is not difficult. Trying to maintain my sanity, yeah. uh, trying to maintain a family relationship with my wife and, and daughter, which was not easy. Mm-hmm. Now, what we came up with, uh, uh, four major findings. Mm-hmm. Um, there were obviously hundreds of little sub-findings yes. throughout all of this here. Um, and uh, all of our... Fi- Major findings and sub-findings totally contradict mainstream materialist ufology. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the, uh, the four major findings are as follows. John Klimo told us that depending on how you phrase the question, you will get a different response. That's right. 
and all of the other academics. Yeah. So well known. it's very well known. Mm-hmm. Again, very, very simplistic uh, research methodology uh, topic category. And so we wanted to gauge this issue of whether this was a positive, negative, or a neutral experience. Mm-hmm. That's one component. Mm-hmm. Because what was circulating in, in at least part of this mainstream ufology field and these UFO conference that these were horrific experiences, other groups saying that these were demonic uh, in, uh, entities yes. and um, that there was no positivity to it all. And so, but yet the researchers that were in our organization knew that the overwhelmingly majority of these individuals towards the end of their experiences, not necessarily in the beginning, yeah. were perceiving it as positive experiences. Mm-hmm. So, we asked over 25 different questions <laughs> to gauge this. We even asked questions towards the type of beings that people were seeing, mm-hmm. and we asked them to respond to the different types of beings. Mm-hmm. Was that an experience with that being positive, negative, or neutral? Mm-hmm. So let me start with the types of beings, okay? okay. Um, the number one type of being, uh, unlike what mainstream ufology is circulating, which uh, these little grays are the only ones primarily that people are interacting with, the vast majority, no. The number one type of being that people were interacting with were the energy beings. Mm-hmm. Is the kind that you experience. That I had, correct. As if I would describe it, we had 12 different choices, mm-hmm. okay? That would be, I put it in the energy being category. Okay. And that was 55%. Mm-hmm. The number two type of being was the human-looking being. Mm-hmm. And again, this is not discussed in mainstream ufology. Yeah. That the human-looking beings are number two at 52%. Number three comes the short grays. Mm-hmm. That was at 51%. Num- number four was the ghost and spirit form, was the spirit form at 47%. How do you distinguish a spirit form from an energy being? Well, this was actually um, like um, like how people describe uh, a humanoid-looking being that, um, like like in an NDE type of, so where you meet your deceased relatives and things like that. Uh-huh. We had a much more clearer definition, but we allowed uh-huh. the person to select what box. Okay. Okay, so you had the ability to select what box. Uh, an energy being was like something that didn't have any humanoid type of structure that was just pure energy. Uh-huh. So that was energy being, like in my case. Uh-huh. There was no uh, humanoid physicality towards it, okay? But then other people saw this other being, which was more like a, a, a spirit type of entity. In, in any case, it's up to the respondent to... Uh, determine for themselves correct what what boxes what choice to select so surprise well the researchers knew this Mm -hmm. but we never had the the data to back it up 47 percent were these spirit beings Mm -hmm. okay 37 percent were these uh tall grays Mm -hmm. and then uh these other beings known as uh as uh, reptilians Mm -hmm. or uh, beings that are very very large uh, muscular with like a, a, a reptile crocodile head, uh, uh, beings very muscular, um, it was a tie between them and what are commonly called the mantid beings, mm-hmm. which are beings that have like an ant head, a lot of people describe as praying mantis types, uh, those were like a tie uh, at uh, roughly 37%. Mm-hmm. Now, most of these individuals saw more than one type of being throughout their experiences, so that's why they checked off a lot of different boxes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so then we looked at we asked, uh, we had five categories. Was this experience mainly negative, slightly negative, neutral, slightly positive, 
mainly positive. Mm-hmm. What we discovered was for all of these different beings, the one that had the most negativity at 22% was uh, negative, either mainly negative or slightly negative, was the reptilian at 22%. Okay. We then look... means that uh, another 78% is either neutral or positive? Correct. Neutral positive. We then went to phase three. For the people that had these reptilian type of experiences, we did an analysis of that. Why, you know, why did they chose, you know, only 20, 22% negative? The, almost all of them was the ontological shock that Dr. John Mack described. Mm-hmm. The physicality of these yeah. beings. All of a sudden, these beings appear right in front of you. They're staring you right in the eye. They're like eight feet tall. They're like 500 pounds, muscular, like on steroids, <laughs> these beings. Crocodile head, green color, with these reptilian eyes, was just looking and staring at you. And then, all of a sudden, after less than a minute, they disappeared. Mm-hmm. Well, I would think that most mammals, and we are mammals, uh, uh, would find themselves uh, frightened by such an appearance. Correct. That's what we found out. Yeah. Uh, unlike what the literature on the internet says that they are, you know, raping your spouse and eating your children, or that President Obama is a reptilian and things of that sort, you know, this is what these uh, um, individuals, 450 people had interactions with reptilians. Mm-hmm. Okay, over a thousand one hundred individuals had interactions with the short grays. Mm-hmm. When we when we found out the questions of the short grays, it was only eleven and a half percent stated that their experiences were negative. Sixty mm-hmm. percent said it was neutral mm-hmm. with the short grays. Again, that's not what the common literature reveals. Well, nobody's really done a survey of this enormity before. Correct, correct. So then we asked, you know, questions. A whole bunch of other questions. I said it was more than 25 different questions. And what we determined was that based upon how the question was phrased, was anywhere from between 85% to 96% of the individuals stated that their experiences were not negative. Mm -hmm. The vast majority stated that their experiences were actually neutral. Okay, with a very large number, depending on the being. Obviously, the human-looking being had the highest positivity rate. That's they normal. Normal, because they look like us. Yeah. It was like 60% positivity yeah. rate, okay? okay. So, um, so that was the first major finding. Mm-hmm. And that totally contradicts what mainstream ufology is presenting. Number two, we took 60 questions from Dr. Kenneth Ring's book, The Omega Project. Mm-hmm. Okay. About near-death experiences. Comparing in, uh, roughly 85 people that had near-death experiences with 85 people that had uh, not only abduction, but UFO contact type of experiences, because mm-hmm. it was both, the abductees and abductees. So then uh, we said, okay, we want to know how these people changed over time, because that's one of these areas that Dr. Ring focused on. Yes. Okay. We grabbed those 60 questions, we put it in our survey, and guess what? Same exact yes, finding. Yes, we discussed that earlier. Correct. Yeah. Okay. It was 85% of the people, exactly as Dr. Dr. The, Rick the found. People who have had near-death experiences go through profound changes, such as you have. Yes. And, and uh, so to find that there's something similar... Uh, is a very yeah. interesting finding. Unlike Dr. Kenneth Ring, we didn't have 85 people. Yeah. We had 4,200 people uh-huh. <laughs> that answered that question. So there's a huge sample from more than 100 countries. But did you do long-term follow-up? Yeah, well, what we did is our statistician 
took it by time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot exactly. In terms that. Of how long ago? Uh, oh, no, 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 no. What he did is he took like how people were answering the first six months, the next six months, to see whether there was a fluctuation and change of how they responded. Mm-hmm. But no, it was consistent responses. Yes. Okay. Now, in terms of these individuals that had these experiences, mm-hmm. we asked them the question of how are they now? Not how were they from before. Okay. We asked them, compared to how you were before, how are you now? Mm-hmm. How have you been transformed? Yes. And it was basically the structure that Dr. Kenneth Ring used. Mm-hmm. The same exact finding. It was a total metamorphosis mm-hmm. of the individual. So that was the number two major finding. Mm-hmm. Okay, Number three major finding. These experiences were primarily non-physical. They were primarily paranormal in nature which you and I know is normal. (laughs) So we asked numerous of uh, paranormal-related type of questions. We asked, goodness, I would say maybe at least 100 paranormal-related type of questions. Um, What we found out was that 80% of them were having out-of-body experiences. 37% had near-death experiences. Roughly 67% were receiving telepathic communications. 95% had paranormal experiences inside their home. Orbs, not white orbs. We're talking about different colored orbs, not in a little uh, Polaroid uh, picture or on their camera. This is physical orbs. It was close to two-thirds of them had physically seen orbs. Then we then asked sub-questions to the people that had seen orbs. Orbs going through walls, orbs materializing into a being that popped out. I mean, tons of questions associated just yeah. with orbs. So, you know, these people were, or, or these orbs, uh, we asked them, what do you think these orbs are? And people were saying, we believe that these are conscious beings, you know, these orbs. It was like a detailed questionnaire on orbs. <laughs> and um, we borrowed some of those questions actually from Dr. Uh, Klaus Heinemann. Uh, a retired uh, PhD professor of physics from Stanford University who wrote uh, a series of books on orbs. And we actually interviewed him as well for, for, for our documentary. And so, um, again, every paranormal-related questions we asked, and all of these individuals were having these huge percentages of paranormal experiences. So what we concluded in our analysis of our research findings was that, okay, these people might have seen beings, they might have seen a UFO, but the overwhelming percentages of a percentage of their experiences are actually paranormal experiences. Mm-hmm. Well, the intriguing thing is that uh, some people are having all these experiences, and other people, like yourself, prior to 2012, are having none. Correct, correct. We also found out that, uh, I wouldn't say the majority, because we really couldn't quantify it, but a good number of these uh Individuals, maybe close to a majority of them, uh, these experiences started at a young age, mm-hmm. at a young age, mm-hmm. where they either saw the short little grays or they were going out of body or getting downloads. It was a whole diversity uh, of ranges of these paranormal experiences they were having as young. So over, uh, over time, there was a large gap, um, normally with their uh, uh, pre-adolescent years. It was usually very, very early. And then there was a big gap until they were like teenagers. Then it, it started. And then there were large gaps. And then there was a certain period of the time, just like in my case, there was this, this, these two years of just nonstop experiences. Then they had this, uh, this area of time that it was just intense experiences. I, I presume that in your childhood, you don't have memories of anything. No, I don't have any memories of that. Okay. 
to me, it was like a crash course over <laughs> two years. And so that was the third major finding that, that which ufology was totally clueless about, that these experiences were primarily paranormal oriented. Okay. And again, uh, uh, the fourth major finding was that these experiences involved a manipulation of space time. Okay. Jacques Vallée, in your wonderful interview many, many years ago, uh, what, 30 years ago or so? I forgot exactly when. I first interviewed Jacques in 1973. So. Okay, well. And there have been several since then. Well, this was a wonderful interview that's in your show. Uh, he said I'd be surprised uh, if this turned out to be um, some physical entity from uh, another planet. Yes. And and then you pursued him. Do you think that these are multidimensional experiences? I remember you asked him. And then he said, well, he, he was very cautious in terms of his response. And what he said was that, uh, I believe what this is teaching us is that we don't understand space-time. Because, as you know, he's interviewed thousands of UFO contact experiencers, and a good number of these individuals, a good percentage of these individuals, have had a manipulation of space-time. Mm-hmm. So, we then concluded, because we've had all these wonderful, brilliant minds within our organization, that just like all of the other contact modalities, near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, remote viewing, channeling, shamanic journeys communication with ghosts and spirits or the whole gambit, the whole cornucopia of these paranormal contact experiences, all of them involve what? A manipulation of space-time. So this is sort of the glue, the consciousness glue that was told me before, Mm -hmm. okay, that space-time is really the key to understanding this and not nuts and bolts ufology. Okay, that ufology needs to move away from looking at photos, videos, and looking at the physicality mm-hmm. of these experiences. Yeah. And then, <coughs> excuse me, what we also understood from our survey was that these exper- these experiences were all of a sudden were, were receiving information about spirituality, spirit uh, information about the spirit world, information about you know, God or a creator, that these intelligence are sort of all like liaisons between a creator, that we're all one, all oneness. I mean, this is an overwhelming number of these people. It was huge numbers. We're talking over 85% of these people were answering the same way. And we were saying to ourselves, my God, uh, these are like people have turned into mystics. There you have it. That's what's happening. Correct. It's a mystical transformation that's taking place. It's taking individuals away from our 3D physicality, three-dimensional experiences, and making these people realize that, look, we're not just physical beings. We're here temporarily as a physical being. But in essence, we're here temporarily as physical beings, but uh, we are eternal spiritual beings. Mm -hmm. So all of these individuals, not just with NDEs, but the UFO contact experiencers are turning into mystics. Yeah. And that, again, remember in my experiences that the key to understanding this phenomenon is the relationship between us, consciousness, and the spirit world. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it's like I had an epiphany. It was like, whoa, this is what it's all about. It's my mission is now to establish a new paradigm for humanity. 
So humanity can understand that, look, we have this terminology that I, we call, that I coined, the, the contact modalities. I was the one that came up with that term. Then everybody now is using it in our organization. That there are these different ways that humans are seemingly piercing this veil of our 3D reality into this, this multidimensional reality. Okay? And they're all interrelated. The commonality is the manipulation of space-time. And if you really begin to understand that phenomenon, you realize that consciousness is primary, not physicalism. And and again, I'm tr- uh, we're trying. My mission now is to get the people involved in near-death experiences and out-of-body experiences, the shamanic journeys, everyone else that they're all in their little niche. The ESP, for example, the parapsychologists, they're in that niche. They don't want to go outside that niche because, look, we can barely understand the psi phenomenon. How in the hell are we going to understand this really crazy stuff that you're telling us, right? You know? And my message to the, not only the parapsychologists, but at this point I'm focusing to the parapsychology crowd, is that, look, you guys know this. What I just said, you know it. Okay, you're just too afraid to come out of your little bubble mm-hmm. and to tell the public what is really going on. You guys already know it because internally among yourselves, you say these things. So now you have to get the courage, the wisdom, the insight, okay, to leave a legacy to humanity and start expanding your horizons. Okay, because the true essence of who we are you as a parasite, not specifically you, <laughs> Jeffrey, but the whole field of parapsychology, you know what it's all about. Well, I've been endeavoring to define parapsychology in this larger way since I started out as a graduate student uh, 45 years ago. Correct. And, and your uh, videos, to me, was a learning tool mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. because I learned from you. Okay, this other friend of mine, um, this was uh, uh, Alex Akiris, mm-hmm. had a very similar show talking about consciousness. Skeptico.com, Skepti- mm-hmm. Alex Akiris. Yeah. So both of you guys were my gurus mm-hmm. in terms of the consciousness arena. And then we had, you know, Mary Rodwell was, you know, my guru, my therapist that kept me, you know, <laughs> grounded. Edgar was just an enormous mentor about everything. Mm-hmm. He was just a, a pillar. He was... He's, he was the godfather to all of this, you know. Uh, I don't want to use it uh, pejoratively, but uh, uh, Edgar really was a, well, I know a brilliant he man. He has a lot of passion for for this, and I think it was frustrating to him that uh, this particular focus uh, couldn't have been carried forward more within the Institute of Noetic Sciences. It required a separate organization. It required you to come along. Well, we interviewed Dean Radin. And uh, Dean Rain's already recorded. He's on videotape. <laughs> Dean said that we are parallel sister institutions, mm-hmm. but we are way ahead of the game of where IONS is at. And he says that IONS needs to move into that direction, mm-hmm. which is the direction that the free organization is moving towards. But unlike IONS, we have zero funding. <laughs> zero funding, and it's just a lot of volunteers and, and, you know, Ray Hernandez on Mission Drive, 
and some of the other um, volunteers that are working with us. So my goal and objective now is to get what I've just spoken about today and really bring it out to, to the world, mm-hmm. to humanity, well, in, in a non-egotistical way which is very, very important. It's extremely fundamentally important. There's no ego involved in this. You've done a great job with zero find, uh, funding. <laughs> Thank you, Jeffrey. You have done a lot of finding with no funding. Correct, correct. <laughs> and we still have a long way to go because, uh, as we spoke about earlier, um, anyone that comes across like they have all the answers, my response is run away. Mm-hmm. Run away from that person. Because we're dealing with the greatest jigsaw puzzle that humanity can ever imagine. That well, we don't have any answers. We're just beginning to understand what questions to ask. Well, Ray Hernandez, this has been a great pleasure. You've had an amazing journey over the past seven years. And uh, I just have to congratulate you for all you've accomplished so far. And I can tell you I'm looking forward to what comes next. Thank you so very much, Jeffrey. Thank you. God bless you.